0: We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold blooded premeditated murder.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Red and Buried podcast. I'm Frankie. I'm Sarah. And today we are delighted to be joined by the wonderful Ruth Kelly. Hi, what an intro. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you
0: think that's an intro, Ruth?
1: We've got more to come Okay, steady on, yeah.
0: on. We do. <laughs> so I will go right into it. We've got a lovely bio that Frankie wrote. So Every um, time, Ruth. Any Every time. Any complaints <laughs> or praise, direct them to Frankie. So... Ruth Kelly is an award-winning journalist who has hosted a string of Sunday Times top 10 bestsellers, most recently The Prison Doctor, which sold over 250,000 copies, and The Governor, which went straight in at number one on the Amazon charts and number five in the Sunday Times bestseller list. She's helped a diverse range of people tell their stories from celebrities to unsung heroes. Her latest book, The Escape, is an electrifying thriller of influences, secrets and lies set in a grand mansion in rural France. When struggling influencer couple, Adele and Jack post a crowdfunding video online. They're amazed when a mysterious benefactor offers to buy them a crumbling French chateau. It's the lifeline they need to leave all their troubles behind. For Adele, it's a dream come true. She will post videos of the renovation as thousands of online subscribers follow their journey. But the chateau is not at all as it seems and the local community is far from welcoming. Then Adele's videos suddenly stop. Her sister Erin visits to make sure she's okay, but the couple have vanished. Between the obsession of Adele's fans and the claustrophobic secrecy of the nearby town, Erin must unravel the shocking truth behind the couple's disappearance. Outside of writing, Ruth divides her time between London and Amsterdam. As well as being very talented, she also has incredibly long and lustrous hair.
2: Although well, it's been it's been chopped a bit shorter at the moment. It
0: still looks lustrous <laughs> <So> though. <lovely. laughs> That was a slightly creepy end to it, Frankie. But, I mean, it's
2: very nice. There. I'm, um, I'm so glad that you've read that out because whenever anyone asks me to tell me what the book is about, I literally get tongue tied and I can't say, I can't speak about what the book is about. But so it's over now. I don't have to deal with it. It's gone.
1: The seed is planted.
0: Yeah, I'm mostly grateful that despite it being set in France, there weren't loads of French names in the description because I have fallen afoul of that in the past, let's say.
1: Yes, it's very entertaining though, Ruth. She really, really slaughtered the French language quite spectacularly (laughs) in (gasps) in more episodes. So many levels. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) But speaking of great, hey, that's a great book you've written there, Ruth. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Really, really fun (laughs) and intriguing and exciting. And this feels like a bit of a hacky question, but I do genuinely want to know where you got the idea from.
2: I guess, well... Probably mostly through my obsession with YouTube. Um, I do watch a lot of YouTube instead of writing. <laughs> when I should be writing, I just <laughs> procrastinate on YouTube. And I just, I noticed that there was a lot of influencers that were turning to do the, the GoFundMe platform mm. to to sort of have sponsorships for certain things like GoFundMe, um, a renovation project, GoFundMe, a roof of my house, GoFundMe, a coffee so I can have a coffee a day. <laughs> I think writers even do it. Like, um, uh, If you GoFundMe, I'll um, put a name a character in my book of you and and I was seeing this surge this new trend that was beyond the you know the traditional YouTube or make money by doing a video posting it online making money through ad revenue or sponsorships or whatever else is linked to it but this this was I was noticing was a new kind of breed of influencer and I um it just got my it just got me thinking about the dynamics behind it and and if someone buys you things, even though that you might be creating content in exchange for it, what what really is the trade off behind it? And then I also I was also was um, I like cha- like programs like Chateau Rescue DIY, and um, I've been to France. I visited Chateau. so I think to the French countryside is something I could write about quite confidently. And I that, that was thrown into the mix as well. But it was the, this kind of um, this new trend. I'm because I'm an uh, I'm a former journalist, I'm always picking up on things. And I think I noticed it. And I've been noticing it for a while. And I thought this is this is different. This is like a, a hack to get a life quickly, getting other people to pay for it. And what's really the fallout of it? And then I came up with the idea of, you know, lots of people obviously want to have a second house abroad or move abroad to start over. Loads of people would love to move to the south of France or wherever it is or Spain. And um, you know, you set your sights on a, a dream house and and um the character of Adele in my book has she wants to she wants to start her life over because she's in a, a dead end job she's in a relationship that's going nowhere and she thinks that if they move to this house abroad it will start everything you know they'll be able to start a new life together but she's, she's got grand design she's not picked any house she's picked a chateau and um, it costs over a million euros so she can't buy it for herself so she needs to do. She needs to raise money for it, and so she does a GoFundMe YouTube video because she's already an influencer, thinking that her viewers will buy into her dream just as much as she wants it, and uh, doesn't realise that there'll be a really nasty backlash and vitriol to it. You know, people saying that you know, her, get a job, whatnot. And so that's what happens when she posts this video. She yeah. gets this horrible backlash to it, but then she gets this mystery benefactor who comes on board and says um I'll buy it for you because you know I really feel moved by your video and what and what your you know all the troubles and the hardships that you've been through and she Adele is so desperate to have this house that she kind of skips over the contract and the clauses and the whatnot thinking that it's just going to be brilliant um and there won't be any payback but I guess that was a really long way of saying the book is about, and um, there's no such thing <laughs> as a free lunch. Um, there's always a cost somewhere. And I kind of explored that in a, I guess, in a really like unique way. Um, I guess if you pick up this book, it does seem a bit like, like unusual, the storyline. But um, no, that it does come from my obsession with YouTube.
0: <laughs> I really liked it because obviously, although the internet and social media has been around for quite a long time now, this monetization, of it. it. Feels like that's a lot more recent. It's especially like you're saying this whole, you know, thing with GoFundMe and Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating because there's so there must be so many dark sides to it that we don't see. You can imagine this actually happening, right?
1: Yeah, it's mm. really interesting. I'm certain it's happened, but it's it rarely ends with somebody being given a chateau. <laughs> and <laughs> I think anyway, maybe I'm in the wrong industry. But <laughs> There is also, as you say, if it's too good to be true, it probably is, right? Mm. (laughs) Yeah. So I completely am obsessed with YouTube as well and TikTok as well and all those people, the home (laughs) renovation stuff. It really sucks you in. So I totally get the obsession. But obviously, you come from a journalistic, as you mentioned, crimey sort of crimey background. Sounds dodgy. I didn't mean it that way. But you've (laughs) also written about crime. But you've also written nonfiction as well as fiction. How do you find the difference between writing fiction and nonfiction? Is it a different process entirely?
2: Mm, yes and no. So if you're right, so in terms of writing nonfiction, I wrote autobiographies for people. So that means that I'm going to tell their life story, which, which involves interviewing and spending quite a lot of time with someone, maybe one, two weeks, following them around, nagging them with questions. I've got my dictaphone. I'm like this, you know, this shadow that won't leave their side. And then you take all that information and, um, you turn it into a book. But if, if say maybe, you know, I've interviewed you, you've probably given me a third of a book of information because, or maybe half because you, you know, you can't, you're not going to do the joining words to me. So as a, as a, um, as a ghostwriter, it's my job to sort of bring all your words together. I'm not just writing them down and just putting them, jumbling them up into a story. I have to, to make it sound like a story. So a lot of it will be fictionalized in a way, writing the scenes, the emotions, the colors, the, um, the, um, all the things that you would do in a, in a, in, um, a fictional book. So that's where they, they are the same in terms of the creativity. In terms of structure, making a page turner and you come to an end of a chapter, that's gonna be the same for a non-fiction book as a fiction book. You want the reader to keep on reading. And I, I think my style is to kind of leave on a cliffhanger, keep it really pasty. All my non-fiction books were quite pacey too, and that's what the reviews would say about them. So I don't think that's unique. But the big the big difference is that if you're writing someone's autobiography, you're limited by their words and their story. And you'll never be able to break outside that structure because it's their story. So you might want to, you know, add some like wizards in it, but you can't. Um, <laughs> you just have to like deal with the story that you've been given. Whereas in fiction, you have complete free reign. And I would say that makes it a 10,000 times harder in a way. Mm. I mean, they've got both got really different things that make them challenging. I mean, there's 101 challenging things about writing a book for someone else, mostly to please that person and to make sure that they sign off and they're happy with it. So you have and you have to capture their voice. You really have to be them, and they have to go, "Oh, that sounds like me." So it's a that that's also a completely different challenge in itself. So I don't know if I've answered your question very well, but I think um, I think you have. <laughs> I think they're they're different, but they're the same. They don't. They both require the same amount of mental input. Another big difference might be that if you're writing autobiographies, you're often on a much tighter deadline. Um, I've had to write a whole book in six weeks. I've had to, um, Wow. yeah, it, it's, they want it now, now, now. It's like almost like a newspaper. You just, you've got to go, go, go. And the turnaround time is much shorter. The stress level is much higher. So that's quite different between the two of them. Yeah. Wow. Do you have a preference between the two? Um, you know, I just, I find, um, now I get my name on a book. I, that was never what I was worried about mm. when I was ghostwriting. It is really nice to see my name on a book and, and be acknowledged for my work. If you're a ghostwriter, you just don't get acknowledged and that's just part of the job. So I think that makes it really hot. Hu- you know, that's just the massive, the amazing thing. Mm. The one thing about ghostwriting is that to get a to get a book deal for a, a memoir, it has to be quite an amazing story. You know, they're not going to give a book deal to just any old story. That would make a newspaper story that, or a feature in a magazine. But a book has to be a, an amazing story. So often, you step inside the lives of some amazing people that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do, like or meet or see or go inside. So I, I wrote two prison books. So I went into two maximum security prisons, including the famous Wormwood Scrubs. I would mm. never normally, thank God be able to go into wormwood (laughs) scrubs. I know it's a men's prison anyway. But I I would like that's you know, this old Victorian prison, famous Mm -hmm. at the films, and I got to walk through the longest wing. I went all the way through it. I met the prisoners inside it. Like I got heckled when they were standing around the pool table. Yeah, they gave me loads of space. And I just thought, you know, when would I have that opportunity? If, if I was a writing okay. fiction, I never would have had that opportunity. And then I can bring those experiences into my fictional world as well, you know. So that's where I think the two mm. blend really nicely. That's fascinating. Um, mm. Obviously, you don't need to give any
0: details on this, but are there any autobiographies that you ghost wrote that it's not publicly known that you
2: ghostwrote them? No, no, not at all. Um, I've written that's that, good. I, you know, that that's, I think when you're kind of, writing maybe a footballer's story or uh, an A-list celebrity they're not going to want you um named on it because mm-hmm. they want to come across as they've written it um and that is often in the contract but legally you can have your name on the front cover that is actually yeah. something I could ask for I've never done that but I've often had it with Ruth Kelly in the inside page and a yeah. lot of a lot of the stories that I've done um are not famous people. They're people i found. It's not like a publisher has come to me. I've met these people and I've gone instantly, you're going to make an amazing book. And then I package it up into a proposal. So that it consists of maybe a 10,000 word document where I lay out the premise of the book and I say what the chapters are going to roughly look like and often they'll want one sample chapter. Um, I have sold books on just one page as a premise. I think the governor wow. was one page. Um, and then it was instantly, but it just depends how host it is, you know, and how much you can, and and also I've got experience. So I didn't probably need to do show that I could write at that point, but, um, it's, um, it's a different, yeah, it's a completely different, um, process, but I will find the people, I will package it up and then my agent will sell it to the publishers and I'll just go to whoever's going to offer the most money for it and, and present it in the right way. But, um, so I've worked with many different publishers across um, and many different editors through my um, nonfiction work, whereas when I'm working on my fiction, it really seems like, you know, I've got this one wonderful editor, um, Alex, that I'm working with at Pan Mac, and it's just much more consistent. You're building a brand, whereas in nonfiction, you're not building a brand, you're just selling a product.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And which came first for you, an interest in in crime and true crime through just your personal interest, or was it from work, in, working in journalism that led you down the crime path? It sounds like I'm saying you're a criminal. I don't, I don't believe you are. I don't know. That you're not. But know. I'm, <laughs> I'm
2: not a criminal, FYI. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right, Cool. Yep. <laughs> I um, I I've always been interested in. Well, I I love watching. That's a genre that I. I gravitate towards um, if I'm watching Netflix, I will go for the the crime, you know, series. If something's come on the BBC or ITV, that's where I'm going to go, whether it be a psychological drama or some, you know, line of duty, whatever it is. I like yeah. police procedural type things as well. You know, I'm, I'm I like, I think that that's what I naturally gravitate towards. When I work, I did many years on newspapers as a reporter and I did a lot of big crime stories. I went, uh, to cover the maddie mccann story when that broke wow. i was there on the second day i did those kind of level of stories for quite a while i've door knocked all sorts of characters i've been out on all sorts of really nasty stuff so i have delved into the crime world like pretty full-on mm. for um for some time i mean yeah murders everything i've i've, I've been called out on yeah, so I have got first hand experience of that crime stuff, and I would do a lot more. I'm not doing rom coms when I'm really working on the, on the newspaper because let's face it, they don't sell papers.
0: No. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah unless there's a good murder in it. Yeah. Um, also, you don't look old enough to have covered Madeleine McCann's case. You're very oh, young. Looking. Stop it.
2: Stop it. That's true. <laughs> I already said you know, that. I
1: was like, hold on. You're not getting my age on here, but nice try. <laughs> not at all, not at all. It was just just a comment, No, not a question, just a comment.
2: Yeah, I've been knocking around for a while.
1: <laughs> well, you look good
0: for it, it oh, suits you. Oh, thanks. Vitamins,
2: <laughs> lots of vitamins. I'd pop them. <laughs> good
0: tip. Okay. Yes. So you have kind of touched on this already, but. We ask every author that comes up, what do you enjoy most and least about the writing process?
2: (laughs) Well, I enjoy the most when I get an idea and I know this is a good idea. I get get a buzz from that. I really think, Mm. "Okay, this is really good. This is really good. I can see this working. And then on the flip side, when you start to plot it and all those holes come in, that's the (laughs) bit I really hate. Yeah, I really hate that bit. Um, and then I and I can you know scrap it or go round and around and around. With the escape, I didn't actually have any problems with that. In fact, the like, idea came to me instantly. I was I was going to do something else, and then I, this idea just popped into my head, and then the whole plot came together. It was really simple. And the the other two books, the villa and the one I'm working on at the moment, aren't the same. In fact, the one I'm working on at the moment has been an absolute headache. The plot because um. Yeah. I loved the idea I had that eureka moment that I was talking about that I absolutely love and then when I drew the parts of it together I just thought this isn't working this isn't working <laughs> and I kept freaking out about it and then uh, my editor my agent no but we love it we love it so make it work <laughs> uh, And <that's>
0: annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm,
2: uh, I'm not sure I can make this work and I um I really, really didn't want to do a locked room drama. So this, the book that I'm writing at the moment, book three could easily lend itself to being a locked room drama. And um, I didn't want to do that. Not that I have anything against them, but I just didn't, I didn't think it was me. I didn't think it was following the style that I've been doing. And I wanted it to be a bit different to that. So that's what took me, I don't know, maybe even a month, I would say, to work out this slim and plot. It was just such a nightmare. and I would. Oh, yeah just round and round so that bit is I really hate I also really hate the 30,000 word mark I hate getting <laughs> to that point in the book something happens around this word count area and it just things start to fall apart and it's like if I can get over that then I'm cruising and I'm, if I'm 60,000 I'm just I'm on the home straight and I'm enjoying it but the the 30,000 word is when you start I start to doubt whether it's really coming together that well and it and I don't know. It just always seems to be around that mark. Interesting. Your runner's wall that you hit. Yeah. And it's probably now mm. a bit psychological, isn't it? I've got it now. Oh, it's coming up. It's going yeah. to be good. <laughs> in this book that I'm writing at the moment, 30,000 was fine. I was like, what? Hmm. What? It's all, no, okay, this is it's working. It's all happening. I don't need to freak out. And then it's around 50,000. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, the halfway point.
0: Yeah. <laughs> What do you do when that happens? Do you literally just push it through or do you send it to someone else
2: and say, tell me this is okay? I'm really or... unbearable to be around, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> unbearable. Um, I get really intense with it because I can't let it go until I've worked it out. It's like a puzzle, all these pieces of the yeah. puzzle and they've got to fit together. And if it doesn't fit, it keeps me up and it keeps me really gnarly and grouchy. <laughs> and I don't. I did. I have spoken to my agent a few times about. Actually, he's really like um, a calming influence for me. Like basically saying, "Chill out." Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just don't want to have this conversation again. <laughs> Take some vitamins and relax.
1: You're yeah, going to be fine. I knew,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I knew, so that's what. I, that's what I really like about him. He's just got this like, oh goodness, sake, just chill out. <laughs> so. um yeah, that that calms me down temporarily, and then um and then I go around another circle. But I, I I think if I didn't have that um need to get it right, it wouldn't get right. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. I would probably just let it go, or and I just I think that that has to feel right, otherwise it's not going to work in my head. Yeah,
1: that makes sense.
2: And as
1: a as a journalist, as somebody that's written many people's stories, and you're very much about people. I did find that the chateau in The Escape is almost another character in itself, very much. Mm -hmm. But how important is setting to you? Or are you entirely character driven in the setting? Obviously, slightly different circumstance, I think, with The Escape because of the nature of the story. But is it setting first or character for you in Um, fiction writing anyway?
2: I think definitely um, setting because I prefer writing descriptions of places and I hate dialogue and people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: um, really well <laughs> <laughs>
2: like oh, yeah. I hate I hate writing. I find it so hard to create a character that's not um that's you know four or five dimensional I find it really really, really challenging, whereas I'm quite a visual person, and so um you know i i art is like something I really love doing so i i i visualize things and I love you know describing them and making them come alive so writing about whether it be the villa in um, on the spanish island or um the chateau in um in the middle of winter in the french countryside that um i i that was you know that's comes easy to me it's the dialogue i find particularly difficult and challenging and um making a character complex is quite challenging and i tried to draw on my experience as a ghost writer thinking about all the people that i've interviewed and how they speak and people are complex but it's, it's those are two really different things for me and they can make it really really difficult to write and if if I ever come undone in my writing like around the 30,000 word or 50,000 word, it's often a character problem and I'll just mm-hmm. I'll just look at it and I'll go I'll run through that character really carefully and I say have is I'm actually have I really developed this character that well and what what's you know what's driving them, what's their motive, and run through that whole list that you should do really when you're trying to work out a character. And um I'll find that that is probably the problem. Right well, and that, mm-hmm. and that's causing a problem in the plot because things aren't marrying up. I once um, I went to um a talk with um that uh, JJ Moyes was speaking at and she's obviously talking about a romance novel, Me um, Before You But she talked about characters and she said, it really stuck in my head what she said was that um, when you have two characters and you don't know them well enough, they're going to, it's going to be like a really bad day in the book. Like, it's just not going to work. So, you know, they're just going to like, there's going to be all this friction. It's not going to happen. And so I I think that's really true. Like knowing, knowing who you're writing about, like Mm. completely, you know, through and through is going to really help your story. Because if you don't know, then then they're going to do weird things that are just going to surprise <laughs> you.
0: <laughs> do you try and create the whole character ahead of starting to write, or I mean, there must be some elements where they build up as you go along. I'm I'm guessing
2: not enough. That's that's it. I'm not. <laughs> I think I really think I tell myself each time. Do you know? You hear people that they they um but they do like a couple of pages like uh where are they from where did they go to school what's their relationship like with their mother where did they like to shop have they got a list you know they just do this whole thing about them and they might not use all that information but then they know their character back to front i every time say i'm gonna do that and then i don't do that <laughs> and then i wish that i'd done it because i think it really helps but then you really know who that person is um often i go in a bit too like um not, not an escape. Actually, I quite, I quite knew um, Adele, the um, the influencer character, quite well, probably through my obsession with YouTube and watching loads of influencers <laughs> and knowing how they speak on their um their videos and using that terminology. Mm. I think that that was easy for me, um, Adele. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I think character is just difficult.
1: Yeah. Mm. Well, speaking of difficult characters, a question we also like to ask uh, everyone that comes in the podcast is: if you had to be a character from one of your books, who would you be and why?
2: So I thought about this question. Like, oh, I don't know if I like any of my characters. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's always the thing about crime. It can be a
2: bit like oh, that. We've had that yeah.
1: response a few uh, times.
2: <laughs> yeah. So um, maybe in the escape, I'd be um, responsible older sister, Erin, <laughs> because yeah. uh, she's looking after her mum and she's a good person. Although I'm a bit more like, Adele who's spontaneous not irritating in terms of her vlogging <laughs> but um well maybe I am I don't know um, but, so far so good um but um I think I would I'm quite spontaneous and if someone if I get a bee in my bonnet about something I probably would charge off and like to prove a point <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's really why you're a good journalist though that kind of quality drives you
2: I'm um I used to be really dogged. I would be like, I'm going to get that story. And if I didn't get that story, it's just not going to happen. I'm going to get that front page. I used to be, I'm not like I, I was someone different back then. I would do it. I would just go for it. I, it was, but I think that's the the environment that you were in. It was Mm. so highly Mm. competitive when I worked on the Daily Mirror. Um, I was on the features team and I just was like, wow! Um, I've been thrown in at the deep end into this extremely competitive environment with everyone scrabbling for the big feature for the newspaper, and a um, lot quite back to Oh boy! <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to say, do you ever miss it? But <laughs> I do. No, I do miss it because I, um, even though I say that, I think it raised my game. Like I think when I'm on my own writing all the time because it's obviously a massively solitary job being a writer that that sort of um sparring and interaction and having to sort of you know stick up myself you really had to stick up for yourself in newspapers or you're just going to get charden on and i think that made me really assertive and i i am um, and in a good way i think it brought out the like the, the good assertive side of me and i i remember i hadn't, i'd been doing a lot of freelance work before i went to the mirror in fact, I'd been doing a stint writing books for quite a long time and I hadn't worked in the newsroom for a long time. I was quite frightened. I was I was quite shocked that they'd given me the the job on a national paper after being out of the game for a little while. And I went in and and it was it was like overwhelming, this intensity of it after being literally working on my own for maybe five, six years. And And then um, I I realised I actually quite like this after after the initial like feasting (laughs) and I didn't I didn't like them I thought I didn't like anyone I'm working with Oh, they're so (laughs) they're so competitive I can't cope with this but then I had to I actually there was a number of times where I had to be quite like assertive and actually snap at people because they were Mm. they weren't being very nice and I just thought and I just found that that was like you know, taking me out of myself a bit more. i been become too um, in my shell, working by myself all the time. And I thought, I think there's a, basically you know, in a nutshell, I like a bit of both. I think yeah. I, I miss that interaction. I miss that laugh that you have with the journalists. I do miss all that. But then I don't like, being told what i have to write and what i've got to do <laughs> and yeah. um, where i've got to be mm. and now i have to go somewhere else and it's absolutely relentless whereas this is you get to make your own time up you get to write what you want like you know obviously make sure that your editor likes it too but by and large you get to be this free spirit and so you mm. know so there, are so there, two sides of it really
1: yeah. would you ever set a book in that world a crime fiction book
2: um, I've been asked to to write book four in that world. My editor's like, you should do that, and I'm like, Haha. <laughs> <laughs> um, too soon, too close, maybe. I think I I think I could write it quite accurately, and maybe it would be like my best character yet. And so maybe <laughs> I should maybe I should embrace it because I could certainly write it like from um, you know, especially after all the all the you know all the stories that I used to go out on. I don't think sure journalists like that much. That's what I would be. Um, you know, I'd have to make a character that was sympathetic because I think mm. often, often you just think, oh, like nasty. Like just you get this picture of a journalist being always not, not that nice, whereas that, that's not always true. Yeah. I'm nice. No, you know?
1: <laughs> that's really interesting you say that. We've had a couple of authors who are ex journalists on the podcast. We had Fiona Cummins and we had T.M. Logan, yeah, who both uh-huh. works as journalists. And they both said the exact same thing. There's this horrible misconception, particularly in, you know, the media. Uh, of journalists uh you know just being creepy following people around not knowing boundaries and being aggressive and horrible and you know obviously there are exceptions to every rule but for the most part there's just people doing their jobs trying to get the story told in the best way possible and you know trying to represent the people they're talking about in the best way and do, do the most credit they can to the story so yeah it's i think it's unfortunately as well in the last few years in the world of fake news It's very easy to like discredit journalism and see them as vultures, and it's not definitely not always the case. Case in point, I'm sure. So yeah,
2: could be a rich world to tackle. It could definitely be a rich world, and if you get the story right, if you get story if you you make it unusual, I think you know it's got to have like an unusual hook. Yeah, yeah,
1: I'm sure you've got some stories you could put in.
0: Yeah, maybe <laughs> oh, crazy, crazy
2: <laughs> <stories>. <laughs> Yeah, I can't even begin to imagine. <laughs> have you read um, The Widow by Fiona Barton? Is that where she turns up um, as a journalist? And I think maybe I've read the first couple of chapters. I don't think I read this. But is that where she? She's in the in the living room of um, someone, a journalist in the living room of her. Uh, oh, I don't
0: remember in that much detail, but it's basically a, a journalist reporting on. Um, it was clearly very loosely based on the sort of Jimmy Savile type oh, yeah. crimes. It's a really, really interesting read. Obviously, I've got no idea if it's even vaguely accurate, but it revolves around this journalist who's covering the case. Yeah, oh. Absolutely fascinating. Ooh. But fiction, yeah, of course. Interesting. Oh. Speaking
1: speaking of reading, uh, do you get much time to read with all your various writing activities that you do? Uh, no. <laughs> Short answer. <Cut>
2: the question. <laughs> um I try I try yeah especially when people send me books to read I'm like I really want to read it I really really want to read it for you and but I'm struggling a bit I think this year's been particularly mad I had a book come out and I had the villa come out in um Mm. summer I've got this coming out in November and I have a deadline for book three by the end of January and I'm spinning out
1: (laughs) yeah fair
2: a bit going on but um I'm um yeah, I, you know, when I, I can talk about books, books that I've read if you want to ask me a question, if that's where I'm leading.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, kind of. <laughs> okay. Well, what we were going to ask is what was the last book that you read and
2: loved? You can go back as far as you like. <laughs> oh no, that's actually quite recent. Um uh, oh, none, of, none of This Is True by um Lisa Jewel. Um I yeah. I I thought that was outstanding. I didn't know where it was going it was brilliant I was like where what is going on here and I just loved I, I love the um character development yeah mm. I listened to a few interviews that she did on it as well I thought it was fascinating how she didn't know either um <laughs> and I think yeah. um I think it was really cleverly done yeah I loved it I've heard brilliant. nothing but Praise for that book.
1: Everyone I've spoken to is like, oh, this book is unbelievable. So I need to read it. I haven't had time, but like you, it's been a busy year, but I'm going to get to that now <laughs> as a point of priority from your recommendation. One question I forgot to put in your email, and I apologize for this. And mm-hmm. um, if you ca- if, if you can't think of it on top of your head, no pressure, it's my fault entirely. But a question we started asking people is what's a line that you've written recently or in the past that you're really proud of? A line in the book. Yeah, or anything that you've written lately that you've, like even on your new book even, if you don't mind giving us a taste, or something from <laughs> The Escape that you love, a, a standout line for you.
2: There is a point in The Escape, It's a, there's a midway twist, I can't read it out because it gives it away, but okay, I think, yeah, there's a big shocker of a twist in the middle and I like yes. that line that leads up to it, so yeah. That's
1: a good tease. Yeah, that's a good tease. Good for really? people listening, being like, "I need to know what that line is now." Yeah, know yeah. The, you'll the know lady. it when you
0: read it. <laughs> yes,
1: if you could find it, and if you, when when you find it, message Ruth on the social media and yeah, say, I'm "I found on the line." Yeah, you can message. Yeah, me. I'm friendly. You are friendly. <laughs> <laughs> Although, is it time, Sarah? It is time. Yeah. Maybe you're not that friendly after all, Ruth oh. Kelly. Because uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I have to confront you about something quite awkward. I'm afraid okay okay go for it (laughs) this is this is all just a joke by the way uh basically (laughs) because i can always tell if people haven't listened to the podcast before they're like oh what the hell is (laughs) going on i promise bear with me what are you doing my build-ups are getting weirder and weirder i can only apologize so ruth kelly the reason why we've brought you here today really is to confront you on a truly terrible crime that you've committed so terrible so heinous so shocking in nature that Mm. it has led to you getting the death penalty
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) yeah i know we were shocked we were really shocked you seemed so nice and you know writing all these beautiful stories but what crime do you think you've committed
2: Oh, you've thrown me i think you (laughs) you completely caught me out i don't know um what am i supposed to guess here
1: well, whatever whatever you've done has led you getting the death penalty because basically this is us, this is a device for us to get to your death row meal. <laughs> That's the
2: whole point of <laughs> this line of questioning. Is it, okay, um, and is it is it related to my book? No, no, it, it can be. be. You tell me. It's your crime. We've That's had a real friend.
0: variety of answers to this. Some people have been like, "Oh, you know, terrible parking, too many parking tickets," oh, and others I see have where been you're like, "From oh." I killed someone and then they'll specifically tell us who they murdered.
2: <laughs>
1: well, yeah,
2: some authors. We've got a lot of
1: dirt on a lot of authors now. <laughs> Um yep.
2: My my crime is um, I have um, a terrible addiction um, mm. <laughs> for sour um, sweets. Did you kill for them? I might kill for them. I might um, uh, break into a factory that makes them. I'll probably kill for them. Yeah, I would. I would. Mm. Um, when I'm when I'm in the height of my writing, I do espresso shots and and sour sweets. It's really nasty. Wow, that is <laughs> a adorable. corrosive combination. It's so it's bad. So isn't so it? It's so It's so bad. It's probably making everyone listening to this going, my goodness. Like your <laughs> so stomach feels-
1: acid must be like- <laughs> It's
2: like fermenting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. So out to the point where it drives mania in you to kill people.
2: Yeah, kill, kill people. Yeah, yeah. Stealing, you know, um, Halloween you steal the other kids' sweets from their baskets. You're just that desperate. <sighs> them. Nice. Okay, I kind of <laughs> love that. <laughs> Me too. I, as a, as a fellow
1: sour sweet connoisseur myself, oh, there's not I many of us. that. Oh, I know. I'm always shocked. My current go to at the moment is the Sour Patch Kid nice. watermelon sweets. Nice. They are. The nicest sweets ever. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty good. What about candy kittens? I love candy kittens. It annoys me because it's that like guy from Made in Chelsea. But the sweets are really good. <laughs> they're really good. Yeah, really good. He knows the sweets. That guy. But this is going to be interesting now to see because the good news mm. is, even though you've accidentally killed someone, accidentally we don't know question mark, but mm-hmm. you broke into a, a sour sweet factory <laughs> and somebody died <laughs> somehow. The guard. The guard. The guard. Needs yeah. must. He was getting in your way. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I, I understand. Unfortunately, the jury didn't understand, and you have been sentenced to death. But oh. the good news is we're gonna get you the death row meal of your dreams first. So it's oh. not all bad.
2: Okay, okay. Don't worry about it. Going. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Based on what you've told us you like to consume when you're writing, I'm fascinated to know what <laughs> your death guess? row
2: meal Do you wanna get. Is it coffee and sour sweets? No, it's a really filthy burger oh <laughs> details okay what's in it mm. um there's gonna be um caramelized onions there's gonna yeah. be blue cheese um Ooh. there's gonna be bacon and um, really nice crispy bit there can be lettuce there can be mayonnaise and um, there can be two patties maybe even three um with wow. maybe some extra um cheese yeah so big that i can barely eat it and of and of wow. things, and chips on the side as well. I love chips. I'm obsessed yeah. with chips. I, I'm as obsessed with chips as I am about um, and penny sweets.
1: Wow. So something like <laughs> stopped you before you went down to the uh <laughs> the home fry factory. <laughs> wow. Okay. And so what drink do you have with
2: this? Oh, I just quite like the sparkling water actually. I might have some prosecco, I'm a bit fancy like that. <laughs> yeah. Nice. But why not? Dirty burger prosecco. Perfect. <laughs>
0: Is it normal fries or sweet potato fries? No, not
2: that sweet potato nonsense. No. Right answer. But they're not an upgrade. I <laughs> Nothing like that sweet infuriates potato fries. Me
0: more than saying, do you want to upgrade your fries? No. Okay. Are we talking
1: chunky or thin? I quite like, like thin actually. Like Shoestring?
2: Yeah. More, thin, grease okay.
1: on me more grease on them. Great. Okay. <laughs> wow. What a great choice. What a great meal. And any mm. dessert for you or are you full up on the burger Prosecco combo? Mm,
2: quite quite filling but if i had i my favorite dessert is apple crumble nice custard cream ice cream custard oh no actually um no no actually no sorry i'm gonna go back i'm gonna say um marks and spencer like um double thick cream Ooh,
1: yeah. <sighs> oh yeah i loved yeah actually double cream
2: because i quite like the cold on the hot. yeah yeah, yeah I, like I
1: agree wow
2: well it's <laughs> really the meal itself doesn't kill you. <laughs>
0: It's almost worth it, I'd say. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, you've had your meal. Amazing. Mm, sad. I'm afraid you are now no longer with us. But <laughs> final bit of good news, we will bury you with the book of your choice. What um, book are you taking
2: with you? Um, I'm going to take, it's an old book. Everyone knows it, but I love it so much. Um, Before I Go to Sleep by S.J. Watson. Great choice past
1: book. guest on the podcast as oh, well. Really? Yeah.
2: Oh, brilliant. Yep. Oh, nice. Good old Steve. Yeah. yeah. It's a fantastic
1: book, isn't it?
2: And the film is great too. Yeah, the film was good. Yeah. I did not think it was as good as the book, but I definitely think mm. it was good because I like Colin Firth. Oh yeah. me too. And Mark Strong actually.
1: <laughs> Either of them would be fine. Okay. <laughs> great. Okay. That's a good book. So is that, is that yeah. a long-term favorite of yours ever since you read it or when did you read it?
2: Um, so I am, um, I didn't read for a long time. Um, I studied English at university and I had to read hundred and one books in a really short space of time. In fact, I didn't read them. I just read the lecturer's notes on the books. I was really <laughs> I was terrible. And I just felt too overwhelmed with the reading list and it put me off reading for years. And then I became a journalist and the new, and and the job was just too intense. And I was doing that for so long that I just didn't um I didn't do anything like, that, like read or have time for it. And then I um I started reading again, not not really like massively long ago. And uh Gone Girl was one of the books I read, and um before I go to sleep was and I just was spellbound by that book. I just didn't see the ending coming. I thought it was extremely clever, um the way that the memories were done, yeah i just re- i was really I was really blown away by it, and I think sometimes I can start books and not finish them quite bad like that, and that was definitely one that I like didn't even hesitate to go right to the end on
1: yeah, it's a great book good choice, yeah, it really is.
0: Well, Ruth Kelly, thank you so much. <laughs> and thank you for persevering with us. This, like the fact that you're not feeling 100%. Oh, thanks for having me, guys.
1: Yeah, it's great fun. It's been so much fun having you on. Where can people follow you on the internet?
2: They can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and my name, is it called handle. Is that what it was? What's it sure. Called? I didn't know what it was yeah, called. Yeah, handle, username, whatever. Username. It's at RuthieWriter. Um, that's r-u-t-h-y writer and come come follow me i'm more on instagram because bizarrely i'd rather use the photo than write something <laughs>
1: <laughs> well save so, that for the day job right yeah mm-hmm.
2: give it away for free uh yeah and um that's where you can find me and i'd love to um, i love interacting with um readers as you know one of the fa- my favorite things on social media brilliant amazing thank you
1: so much Sarah. <laughs> Frankly, where can people follow us on social media oh she does she got me good uh sarah they can follow us at reddenberry podcast on pretty much all of the social channels now or they can email us at reddenberrypodcast at gmail.com or they can visit our website reddenberrypodcast.com wow Better. thanks but ruth thank you again Thanks, everyone, for listening. It's been so much fun. Ruth, we never know how to end an episode of this podcast. How shall we end this?
2: What are you asking me? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the um, the can can, I don't know. Okay. No, absolutely not.
1: Let's just say bye bye. I'll drop the can can music in. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs> guys my name is
0: tony black podcaster and author and i'm here to tell you about partisan a podcast about politics and history in film and entertainment i'll be joined by guests as we discuss films tv shows and maybe a little bit more
1: examining political and historical topics such as how elvis intersects with black
0: cultural history in lerman's film the idea of the black characters are maybe kind of they're used as catalysts to basically move elvis forward in his career i think that that's how i saw it the rise and fall of richard nixon it seems to be historians who to agree with this is that he was the first president that really capitalized on the evangelical vote and politicized them the disturbing class satire in society and much much more Partizan is free to download on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your podcast app of choice and you can follow
1: us on Facebook and Twitter at Pod. I hope you'll vote with your feet
0: and join us on the journey.